When I was a child, I went to Walnut Hill United Methodist Church. That's, that's in Dallas. Walnut Hill United Methodist Church. And I was loved there. Even though I was a rambunctious boy. I mean, you never would have guessed that I was a rambunctious boy, right? Even though I was a rambunctious boy, I was loved by the congregation that went to that church. I could get into trouble. They'd still love me. I'd go running in the halls. They'd still love me. They'd still embrace me. One day I came out of the Sunday school class and I saw a gaggle of women in the, at the intersection between the, one of the two of the Sunday school class wings and, and, and I thought I saw my mother in this group and so I went running down that hall at warp speed, down the steps, threw my arms around the legs of the woman I thought was my mom, hugged her real tight and looked up and it wasn't my mom. <laughs> and I looked around, saw my mom, went and hid behind her. And they all laughed and loved me and cooed over me and thought I was the cutest thing since, uh, I don't know. Wow. They loved me. They cared for me. They knew my parents, my mom and my dad. My, my dad was a member of the Board of Trustees. I think they called it the Board of Stewards back in the 1960s. The Board of Trustees, and, and he also taught the men's Sunday school class. My mom sang in the choir, imagine that, sang in the choir, and was a member of the United Methodist Women's Group. Our family was well-rooted in the church and had been part of that congregation at Walnut Hill since its beginning in the mid-1960s. I was baptized there by, as a baby by Dr. Ira Galloway, one of the early pastors of the congregation. That's a story in and of itself, I'll tell it at a later time. They loved me even though I could be rambunctious, a little loud, a little brash, a little inappropriate at times. I learned my ABCs there. I went to kindergarten there. Loved having crackers and milk and nap time there. I toured it not too long ago um, with some friends of mine when I went there for a district meeting back when I was in the Metro District. And it, it was like a trip down memory lane. The rooms looked the same to me. Just the TVs were flatter. <laughs> but even though they loved me, even though they cared for me, even though they accepted me, when I did the most awful things like standing on the pews to sing hymns, even though I could be naughty, and even though they loved me deeply despite that, had I said some of the things that Jesus said in our reading today, had I said that I was the bread of heaven, had I said you must eat of me in order to live eternally, I think they would have thought I was absolutely stark raving crazy. Just like Jesus' synagogue family thought he was crazy. The Jews began to complain about him and said, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They were saying, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can now he say, I have come down from heaven? We know him. We've known him for years. We've known him since his bar mitzvah. We've known him since long before then. We helped raise him. We need to go running in the synagogue. We'd stop him. 
When he played out in the yard, we'd pick him up and dust him off. When it was time to come in for services. We know this boy. How can he possibly say, I am the bread of heaven? He, he got to be, gosh, he's got to be crazy. I know I'm electric, but this is getting to be ridiculous. I know, it's me. There's a short in my microphone line. Oh, well. We'll see. But Jesus, just like my microphone, wasn't done offending. can he say I have come down from heaven and Jesus says I am the living bread that came down from heaven whoever eats of this bread and he's probably pointing to himself will live forever and the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh what you've got to be kidding Certainly he has to be mistaken. He must have spoken that wrongly. Perhaps he's on drugs. Maybe he misspoke. That's the kind of things the Jews were saying amongst themselves about him. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? He's nuts. He's crazy. He's insane. He can't be serious. He must be speaking in metaphors. This has to be some kind of a symbolism or metaphor that he's using. I'm reminded of a scene from one of my favorite Monty Python movies, The Life of Brian. In it, Jesus is preaching his Sermon on the Mount. There's a bunch of people gathered there listening to him, but some are way, way, way in the back. They, they couldn't hear clearly what Jesus was saying back there, in part because they were way off, all the way in the back, and also because they kept arguing amongst themselves. Kind of like, sounds like Methodist in church today. They couldn't hear Jesus speaking. When Jesus said, blessed are the meek, they thought he said, blessed are the Greeks. And some of them got mad about that. Why the Greeks? What have they done to deserve anything? But when Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, one guy turned to the others and said, I think it was blessed are the cheesemakers. <laughs> and one of them, God bless them, one of them, she says, what's so special about the cheesemakers? And her husband says, obviously, uh, it's not meant to be taken literally, dear. It refers to any manufacturers of dairy products. <laughs> Metaphors. Maybe that's what we've got going on, going, going on here. And Jesus is saying about flesh and blood. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. If you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you'll abide in me and I'll abide in you. Maybe that's a metaphor. Maybe it's not supposed to be taken literally, dear. That's what a lot of Protestant theologians have tried to say over the years. Only Jesus doesn't make it easy for us to take it as a metaphor. For his very next line blows it all away. Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Oh. Wow. I knew it. 
Wow. Jesus, you could have made it easy. You could have said, oh no, you misunderstood. Don't take me literally. I don't mean it literally, people. I'm telling you a metaphor here. I will feed you with my words. I will feed you with my spirit. I will quench your thirst and feed your hunger. And all. you don't have to worry about it because I will be... He could have made it easy. Only he doesn't make it easy. Very. In fact, he, he, he nails it down. Very truly... I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood have eternal life, and I will raise them up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. That's gross, Jesus. Yeah, it is. Those who eat my flesh and drink my blood abide in me. And I in them. It's not supposed to be taken literally, dear. Doesn't work here. First church I ever served, first appointment I ever served, first communion Sunday there. I wanted to show my erudition, my brilliance as a Methodist, and so I chose. One of my favorite Wesley communion hymns. Charles Wesley, the brother of John Wesley, wrote many of the hymns in our hymnal. We've got a lot of theology in it. A lot of theology in this hymnal. A lot of theology in these hymns. One of his hymns is entitled, Come Sinners to the Gospel Feast. And so I assigned this hymn thinking, ah, They'll think really good of me. I know my Methodist theology. And it starts beautifully. Come, sinners, to the gospel feast. Let every soul be Jesus' guest. Ye need not one be left behind. For God hath bid all humankind. It's just a beautiful hymn. Do not begin to make excuse, or do not you His grace refuse. Your worldly cares and pleasures leave, and take what Jesus hath to give. It's gloriously beautiful theology, beautiful words, and actually it's a kind of nice tune as well. Got to the third verse. The congregation's giving it a good try. I mean, they've never heard this hymn before. It was written by Charles Wesley in 1747. They never heard this hymn before. It's a new one to them in their hymnals. And they're standing there singing it with gusto. They're working really hard. The choir is really giving it the good old college try. They're doing a great job with it too. Here we are in the third verse. Come and partake the gospel feast. Be safe from sin in Jesus' rest. Oh, taste the goodness of our God and eat His flesh and drink His blood. And by the time I got to blood, I was the only one singing. <laughs> and I did a solo on verses 4 and 5. Huh. Got back to the house after services were over with. There's a phone call from the district superintendent. Greg... Why did you have those people at your church sing a Catholic hymn that Sunday? I said, Catholic hymn? And he said, yes, you sang about eating Jesus' flesh and drinking his blood. And I said, well, yeah, that's hymn 616 in the United Methodist hymnal. 
What? Yeah, come sinners to the gospel feast. And I heard him grab a book off his shelf and thumb through the pages and he found it. I said, it's verse 3. And he reads it and he says, Shazam. I don't think I ever saw that before. Huh. Huh. What might Jesus mean? What might Jesus mean? This is gross stuff, friends. Eat my flesh and drink my blood. Sounds like cannibalism. Ooh. Ooh. Did you hear the joke about the cannibal who ate the Methodist and the Baptist and the Episcopalian and the Roman Catholic missionary? He then had an ecumenical movement. <coughs> Wow. I didn't plan that one. What might have Jesus meant? Because this isn't cannibalism, my friends. This is, yes, it's literal. But it's not cannibalism. What might he mean? When the Israelites were in the wilderness, they were whining and complaining because they didn't have anything to eat. And so God gave them manna. What is it bread? That's what mana means. What is it? They called it the what is it bread. Mana. It was a, a heavenly gift of bread which gave them nourishment. They could eat it each day. They could gather enough for that day. They could make cakes out of it. They could eat it. If they gathered too much, then it would spoil the next day. So you only could gather what you needed for the day. It was God's daily bread for them. It was God's heavenly provision of sustenance for them. God also gave them water in the wilderness and quail to eat. God provided for them. And so we have here an image of God providing for us. I mean, I'm really good at this metaphor stuff, friends. I can really find a way out for Jesus here. Jesus gives us himself as nourishment so that we will never go spiritually hungry or thirsty. I mean, I could preach that and y'all say, Amen, brother. Amen. Thank you. Even the sound system said, Amen. But that's not what Jesus said. Jesus didn't say that my flesh is kind of like food and my blood is kind of like drink. And if you listen to me and you receive me and you accept me as your Lord and Savior, you'll live for eternally. No, he said, if you eat my flesh and drink my blood, I'll abide in you and you'll abide in me. And you'll live eternally. How do we get around this? We don't. Methodists believe that in the sacrament of Holy Communion, we have Jesus really present. We have Jesus really present here. In the bread, in the cup, when we come and when we eat and we drink, when we come and we kneel, we receive a bit of bread, we receive a bit of grape juice, of wine, and we eat and we drink, we believe that we receive into ourselves the real abiding presence of Jesus. Think about it with me for just a moment. In the great thanksgiving, in the prayer that I will be praying over these elements today, and you can find it in your hymnal, beginning on page 9, if you wonder where it comes from, I will pray something very specific. I will pray to Almighty God, 
Send your Holy Spirit upon these gifts. Make them be for us the body and the blood of Christ, that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by His blood. We don't explain how Jesus is really present. We don't pretend to understand how when we eat the bread and drink from the cup, we receive the real presence of Jesus into our lives, how we receive His flesh and His blood, His abiding presence, His abiding love, His transforming grace. We don't pretend to explain it. We simply believe that it's true. That when we eat and when we drink, Jesus Himself really is conveyed into us. Charles Wesley says in another hymn, we cannot explain how bread and wine God into us conveys, how the bread transmits His flesh, how the wine transmits His blood. Interesting wording to be used from someone writing in the 1700s. We don't have a way of explaining it. We simply know by our experience, reflecting upon Scripture and tradition, that it's true. Our reason may fail us, but the Scriptures and tradition and experience of the truth of the church proclaims it as true. That when we eat and when we drink, Jesus is truly conveyed to us. We truly feast on the riches of His grace. We truly receive Him into us anew. And He becomes part of us. And when we do this, we become part of Him. It's why the sacrament of Holy Communion is so important to the life of the church. I've taught the study on Holy Communion that was published in 2004 by the United Methodist General Conference. This Holy Mystery is its title. I've taught it for many years around the entire denomination. In the Southeast, the response is usually, why do we have to do this Catholic stuff? In the West, it's, this is all mysticism and, and strange uh, mythical belief. Why do we have to do this stuff? Why can't we do just stuff that's normal to today? Both sides of the argument miss the point. The point is, is that this meal gathers us together. This communion gathers us together. And we do this in remembrance of Jesus. We are remembered to Jesus. Remembered, brought back into membership with Jesus and with each other. And even though we may have many disagreements, and we do, even though we may fight and squabble like they did in the back of the crowd there at the Sermon on the Mount in the movie The Life of Brian. Even though we may not agree, nevertheless we do agree that God's grace is offered here freely to us. And all we have to do is come and receive and be fed by the very real presence of Jesus Christ our Lord. And we can't explain it, but we can experience it. And we can then share it with others. Today come and kneel or stand and receive the offered gift of the sacrament 
and receive into yourself anew and afresh the abiding real presence of Jesus Christ our Lord. Come and eat his flesh and drink his blood and be made one with each other and one with Christ Jesus. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And let God's people say, Amen.